Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something positive, positive, oh, bah, bah. <laughs> Something positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that provides mental health services for people who have experienced the sexual trauma of a positive STI diagnosis. At some point, I hope to be able to make that sentence provides mental health services for people who've experienced a sexual trauma, period. Uh, But right now, this is what we got to do. This is where we are. Uh, As we wrap up 2020, I'm very excited to announce that we're at a point where we've gotten 14 people enrolled in counseling services with a licensed mental health professional. And um, I'm doing exit interviews with everyone so that we can discuss how their progress has been made and what developments they've experienced and so far um, I've done one exit interview wrap up and there were a lot of good things said and there were also some areas for improvement that are definitely going to roll out into 2021 so as of right now we can only provide services for people who are living in Missouri residents of Missouri um, because that's the counselor that we're working with but come 2021 I am full on ready for us to uh, launch this bad boy and who knows what else this is going to evolve into. Um, it's gotten to the point where I called it into existence of being, I didn't know when, I didn't know how it was going to look, but here we are. So uh, actually, if you are someone who is a licensed mental health care provider and you're listening to this podcast, if you are positive or if you're just a sex positive person generally, then um, and you feel compelled to perhaps... Uh, donate some sessions to something positive for positive people listeners or if you even want to be a part of the network that I'm putting together of sex positive therapists to provide services to our listeners to our community to people who are living with not just HSV but also other STIs and struggling with uh, having access to the tools that they need in order to support them in navigating the stigma please don't hesitate to reach out my email is just Courtney at spfpp.org. Now, <clears throat> this podcast episode is a solo episode. I have gotten a lot of positive feedback about these, despite my own discomfort still with the sound of my own voice. Um, but we don't have an episode guest lined up for this week. I lost an episode and I'm waiting to hear back from a few people. So um, this will just serve as a podcast episode. Let me turn my phone on Do Not Disturb before something crazy happens. Okay. And um, as you'll see in the title and the show notes, I began writing out the show description before I started talking. So now I have to stay on track. There can't be any tangents. Luckily, I have my notes right here. This episode is titled Avoidance is Not Letting Go. And I wish I could have just made the equal sign with a slash. I'll probably just do that on the cover for the podcast episode. But what I mean by that is I have masked letting go with avoidance in a lot of situations that I've been in, not just in my personal life with friends, with family, Uh, with my relationships, with my potential relationships in my career. That's what I've been doing. Like um, I mentioned from time to time, my impulse to quit my job before I uh, moved back home to St. Louis. 
um, when I lived in Houston, Texas, like I think that I was avoiding conflict and there's a fear behind that that came up in therapy um, in one of my early sessions about me running away from something. And that's where the avoidance comes from. And I've always been like, I'm not running from anything. I'm not running from anything. And then over time, as you continue to process and work through the healing and sit with the emotions of like certain statements and situations, you come to realize some really powerful things for yourself. And in my situation, I just realized that I have been saying I'm letting go, but I'm not. Like, it's not surrender. It's been avoidance. And just to give you uh, an idea, avoidance is the action of keeping away from or not doing something. And then with letting go, letting go is a willingness to allow what is to be it it looks like acceptance i have been so resistant throughout all areas of my life you know being as woke as i am as spiritually inclined and having experienced all of the growth i have and emotionally aware and intelligent as as i am in all of these areas i've been completely oblivious to the fact that my avoidance has a much more deeper root than my letting go. And like, I, I, I think that I'm letting go, but I'm being avoidant. And I can give you like an example of anger. I avoid my anger, but I say I'm letting go of this situation because it's going to make me angry. Letting go to me is a depressurization. We build tension. We build, uh, we build tightness. Let's let's make a fist in front of you if you're in a position where you can. Now you've got your fist closed. Wrap your thumb around the index finger to where the thumb is touching the middle finger. And then just squeeze. Squeeze as hard as you can. Squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And you feel that sensation in your fist. Perhaps your nails are digging into your palm and your hand's starting to turn a little bit red. You're getting sore. There's a sensation that's rising up your wrist through your forearm to your elbow and perhaps your biceps flexing a little bit. Now release that. There's like a, a, a sensation of realignment that's coming into place throughout your hand back to like a neutral position. That is what letting go is. I have been having a tight clenched fist saying I'm letting go. But every time I say I'm letting go and I actually avoid, I'm tightening that fist. I'm creating more and more and more of that tension. And um, my mom's always said, she's always said to me, you have a lot of anger. You are an angry person. And I've resisted that with all my might. And I overcompensate by just being a good person, by doing good things. And I feel like I have like this demon or this shadow in me that is just like there and it expresses itself when I just lose my shit. It's really challenging for me to get to a point of losing my shit, but I always recognize it. And rather than depressurizing, I allow for it to fester. You know, it's like when you sweep, you don't sweep so much under the rug before you trip over it. And then that shit comes out. Right. Um, the times that it's come up for me, I've quit my job. I've ended a relationship and, so on, so on. Now, I don't really 
have experience in expressing my anger like healthily outside of being able to be aware of when I'm angry and then starting to tell people right away when I'm angry. Um, And I have one of my values is transparency. So being able to transparently communicate my anger to someone could be the thing that I need in order for me to heal, in order for me to really get whatever it is that I need to get out of the experience that's been had or being had, right? And that's where, that's one of the areas where I'm struggling in. Um, Looking at my notes, like I'll get to that more so later, but I don't want to fill in this portion of the podcast with too much filler. Um, This will be a good point for me to go ahead and drop in here that this podcast is in fact sponsored by Let's Get Checked. Visit www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP and you can save 30% off your first at-home STI test kit. I mentioned to you that uh, when I tested positive for chlamydia, like I didn't know that that was what it was. I didn't even know that it was an STI. So it's important to, you know, again, just keep your routine STI testing up. Uh, despite the pandemic, we have options to have our test kit delivered to us at home. And Let's Get Checked is really, really good about that. You get to order it. The, the process has been smooth. You can get expedited shipping if you want, have it sent to your place. You prick your fingers, depending on which test you get. You pee in this like box that has plastic in it. I thought that this was cool. I'd never seen anything like this. But for me, it was really easy to pee in this thing over uh, peeing in a cup. And I mean, peeing in a cup is really easy. It's just you don't really know what your stream's going to look like as a person with a penis. But um, the process of pricking myself and and shipping it all back and having received it, it's discreet packaging. All of these things made the process of testing so easy uh, for me. Um, and I didn't even have to leave the house. I mean, I was able to just put it outside of my door for the mail carrier to pick up. And they don't know what it is. They don't know there's pee in there, right? And probably for the best, too. But this is something that um, it's also encouraging a lot of conversations, given the fact that we live in the age of COVID now. And there are so many parallels between STIs and COVID. You know, the questions of who have you been around lately that you've been potentially exposed to COVID by same as, you know, what's your sexual history? How often do you get tested? How often do you get tested for COVID? What STIs are you tested for? Are you social distancing? Are you safe with your sexual partners? So these are two things that really parallel well with one another. And the only thing that we can do is test, get tested. So I encourage you to visit www.trylogic.com without the vowels. So that's T-R-Y-L-G-C dot com slash S-P-F-P-P. And when you go into checkout, there's an option for you to enter a promo code to save. And when you enter the code S-P-F-P-P, you'll save 30% off your first purchase of an at-home STI test kit. And you can also get a COVID test on there. Um, That's that just, I mean... There's no promo code for that, but they do offer at-home COVID tests, and I was able to get one of those myself during that time period of September when I was tested positive for COVID. All right, now, going back into my notes, I'm going to make a little bit of noise here because I dropped the notebook that I had. Um, This avoidance versus letting go applied. 
okay? Something that comes up a lot is we talk about successful disclosures, and I don't want to use successful disclosure anymore until I find a way to phrase it in a way that feels right. I'm going to have to continue to call it that. So imagine that whenever I say successful disclosure, I'm using air quotes, right? Around the word successful. Um, but let's say, you know, you disclose to a partner, hey, you know, this is my HSV status. I'm positive. Here's the information around it. We often anticipate a person saying no. We hear more about rejections in social media, even on this podcast. Like people talk about, more rejections than they do of it being received well and then them having a pleasant interaction. And, you know, we just forget, you know, we expect the negative to happen. And when the positive does, it it, it just takes us away from this space. Like we don't need this anymore because we've received the acceptance that we came here to equip ourselves with the tools and resources to be able to get understandable. But what happens post-successful disclosure, right? Now, think about check-ins. Think about revisiting boundaries. Think about setting expectations beyond the precautions to reduce the risk, such as taking daily suppressive medication, using barriers whenever you are intimate, avoiding sex during outbreaks, basic hygiene, of showering or, you know, just making sure that you're, you're taking care of your body in the way that you should. But what happens when a partner does, in fact, ruin the discordancy by eventually testing positive? Oh, no, that's the worst. How could you ruin us like this by being positive? People who have HSV tend to have this huge burden of responsibility that we are exclusively responsible for our partner's sexual health even if they have all of the information that they need about this status, this diagnosis, this virus in itself. And we often beat ourselves up about, you know, being cautious and everything. And uh, we want to be mindful. Like we would even talk ourselves out of a relationship as a result by harassing partners and being like, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? And it's not even, are you sure you're okay with having sex with me because I have herpes? It's more so, are you sure I'm worth it? I think that that's what the question really is. And what that stems from is a seeking of validation for our value as human beings. Because if you're someone who's lived with herpes for, you know, for me, I've had it for eight years now. And I've only recently become accepting of my status uh, through the advocacy and everything that I've done. And I've been met with so much love. And I've also been met with so many opportunities to receive the intimacy that I deprived myself of early on in my diagnosis. So from this perspective, I see how, you know, like um, if you've gone without being accepted for a really long time. And then you receive acceptance from someone about your status. You want to take care of them. You really want to be there for them. You're going to put everything you can into protecting your partner. But we realistically just can't. There's always going to be a possibility of us passing the virus on. And one of the things that I've done is with my partners who are not HSV positive, 
I make sure that they're aware of that. And that's really all that we think we can do because we're not taught anything beyond that. We're not even taught that much. So the rest of it is self-education, right? Well, considering the background that I just shared from myself, you know, I know that I can do whatever I can to prevent or to minimize the risk of passing HSV on to my partners. But what happens if they get it? What do we do? Do we leave? Do we beat ourselves up about it? Are we re-traumatized about our own experience after having come so far through the mud, through the struggle, through the suffering of rejection after rejection after rejection? And here you are, you get this person that sees past that and they like you for you. They love you for you. They see past your status and they're negative. They don't have to deal with this shit. They don't have to put themselves at risk. But they place more value on you as a whole human than you place on your HSV as something that dwells on or in the human. What happens when you hurt this person in the same way that you were hurt? When you received your diagnosis, when you didn't have any support at all, what happens? What do we do? How do we navigate that part of the stigma as someone who passed herpes on to someone that cares about us that we in turn care about? That's a hard question to answer. From the experiences that I have, I think that this is one that you empathize because it's it's easy to forget where we came from, especially when you want to forget where you came from. <laughs> that moment of my diagnosis, when that doctor told me this looks like herpes, I remember that heart drop sensation in my chest. I remember the embarrassment that I felt of possibly having been the dude that gave somebody an STD. That's what I remember. For some people, they remember wanting to kill themselves. They're re-traumatized by the rape that occurred to them. That that the rape that I don't I'm wording this terribly, but uh, they're remembering their sexual assault that someone did to them um i apologize for anyone who you know wants to like for me not getting that right but i think you get the point what happens to the person who just didn't know they had it what happens to the person that got called and bitched out over the phone because they gave someone herpes and they didn't even know they had it where do you go when you're diagnosed all you have to go off of most likely is the most recent instance that you had with herpes, with HSV, with any STI. And there likely wasn't a positive experience because that's just not the way that our society is set up. It's not set up for us to have open dialogue around real things that happen through having sex. Nor does it equip us with 
what we need in order to navigate relationships, boundaries, what if scenarios, because things can go wrong, but also things can go right. So why can't we plan for things going right? You know, in the event that both partners now are positive for HSV, what can we, with our past experience, prepare our next partner for in the event that they do get herpes from us or if they get it from somewhere else? Let's say we're in a non-monogamous relationship. You're seeing multiple people now. You know, if you're in a discordant relationship, I believe that it's important to let whatever other partners know that you are, in fact, sexually active with someone who carries the HSV virus, the HSV virus, the herpes virus, but as I'm getting off track there, but, um, taking it back to just setting the expectations. Okay. When I was diagnosed, here's what I went through. Here's what I know for a fact I experienced mentally and emotionally and physically. So this is what you and your experience were, your experiences were. You know that how the doctor responded was either a way that was positively reinforcing or negatively reinforcing. So perhaps you want to support your partner in going to a place where they're going to be treated with respect and not shamed for seeking a medical diagnosis. Perhaps you want to talk about that the fact that, hey, you know, the first thing you do is you want to Google it, please don't. Don't do that. <laughs> Give them a heads up that if they Google herpes, they're going to they're gonna be in for a rude awakening. And majority of what they show on that first page of the Google results of being what herpes is and looks like is not what people experience in any way, shape, or form. What can you expect mentally? You can expect shame. You can expect potentially embarrassment. You can expect anger, rage, frustration, sadness, grief. You can expect a whole range of thoughts and emotions to just completely overwhelm you. More commonly than anything, you can expect a complete shattering of your sexual identity. That happens. Who you are as a sexual being, based on what you have believed about STIs in the past, that no matter how sex positive you are, no matter how many people you know who got this virus, until when you get that shit yourself, you can't tell me you take this on and you're like, oh, okay, great. I got it now. So now we just don't have to worry about using condoms because that's not how this works at all. The psychological effects are something that you just cannot prepare yourself for, but you can have someone to share their experiences with you so that you're a little bit more prepared to challenge the initial thoughts and emotions that come up based on the experiences of someone that you know, love, and trust. Now, we've talked about the expectations of what to expect, mind, body, uh, emotions. But what about... I'm sorry, I thought this dog was about to start barking and I was about to have to stop recording. Thank God. <laughs> but what about ongoing communication from there? What about boundaries? Like, okay, were you in this relationship with this person simply because they accepted you for your positive diagnosis? Are there compatibilities? 
Do you like each other? Do you love each other? Do you want to be together? Like all of these factors play a role in what the next steps are, even for you as the person who has a positive status, who is making a choice. Like we, we give the power of choice over to the other person because we diminish our value as human beings because we have an STD. What should happen is we should hold ourselves to the same standards that we would if we didn't have an, an STI. So when we are talking about being in a relationship with someone, we're talking about dating them, we're talking about having sex with them and potentially giving them this long-term <laughs> mark <laughs> that they've been in a relationship with us or whatever, however you choose to look at it. Like when you get a herpes diagnosis from someone that you're seeing, even if y'all break up, like that's there. That, that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. So now you're going to have to disclose this information to future partners. You're going to have to deal with potential outbreaks. You're going to have to take care of your body. You're going to have to, um, you're going to have to like, just be more mindful of your sexuality, your sexual liberation, your sexual freedom. Right? So are these things that you're willing to do? Are you going to stay with somebody out of sympathy or empathy because now they have herpes or are you going to be with this person because you genuinely care for them, you love them, you like them, or you've been with them just because it's easy. That is one thing I would say that like really bothers me <clears throat> in dating is that I like to think that I have a really good radar for when someone is interested in me, for who I am, and when they are interested in me because it's easy and we both have herpes. Excuse me. <coughs> I don't know what that was. I need some water. Uh, I want to say that again, though. Like, I don't want to be chosen out of convenience because we both got herpes. That's not how I want to do relationships. <laughs> but let's say I'm with someone who doesn't have herpes and I give it to them. I've already set the expectation up in my mind that this is someone that I, I like and want to be with anyway. This isn't going to be a pity party. And I'm choosing people who like me for me. So herpes aside, whether it's there or not, we have connection. We have a foundation for a relationship. And even in that relationship, like we find our support in another person through that acceptance. And we we tend to find ourselves like our not just our sexual identity, but we disconnect from just exclusively being our sexual identity to finding our self-identity and who we are as a whole human. And it's often at the expense of another person because they show us who we are and, you know, we don't believe it at first, but then when we start to come into it, there's an energetic shift in us. Like we, we begin to get our confidence. We know that we are better. We probably could do better is often something that happens. And I'll use this example of like how our sex education system, it teaches us don't have sex without a condom, don't have sex before marriage, or you're going to get someone pregnant, or you're going to get an STD. The first time that does not happen, you begin to question it. You're like, huh, I didn't get an STD. Huh. I didn't get pregnant or this person I'm having sex with didn't get pregnant. And you begin to like push that boundary. But it's important to understand that this shit can happen to anybody. And all it takes is once you can find yourself in a situation where you're apologizing to someone that 
you had no intention of being with long term. But that one interaction, that 20, 30 minutes, I mean, for me, it's like an hour and a half. But no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me stop. That short-term interaction can have a long-term impact on that person's life and their livelihood. So it's really important that we give people the options and that we also know what our intentions are with people. And, you know, if it is, in fact, you know, a long-term relationship with somebody that we care about, go into all of these details with them because you're going to be there and you're going to have to be willing to be that same support system for them that you may not have had at the time of your diagnosis. And they're going to need you. They're going to rely on you. So are you, do you care for them enough to be there for them, to connect them at least to resources, to point them in the right direction? Or was this in fact like a selfish scenario? Was this just, you know, somebody that you know, made you feel good and you got what you needed from them. And now, you know, on to the next, be gone. (laughs) And I know how powerful it is for us when we find our sexual identities again, after finding our whole identities and we understand that our sexuality is really an extension of that. Um, And, you know, that's something that happened to me. I began to like myself more around people who accepted me, who knew I had herpes than I did around the people that I fucking grew up with. So you, you kind of make a decision on who you want to be and then choosing to be who you are. Like, don't let go of and don't forget about the people that supported you in getting you to where you are. And this is oftentimes that that partner in a discordant relationship. And, you know, it's unfortunate that <laughs> they're left to try um, because this is useful information. But, you know, I don't I just don't have the connections to people who um have experience in discordant relationships because typically these relationships are more long-term. Whether or not they're healthy, I don't know. Um, I know some people who've gotten married from discordant relationships. I know people who didn't get herpes at all. And, you know, I know people that like all across the board, but like, I think that this particular situation may even be an uncommon story just because, you know, just like with people with herpes, the majority of us who have it are living our lives. What reason do we have to talk about it? Why would, you know, someone who works a nine to five, has a family at home, is happy and makes good income and does things on weekends, travels with their family and has vacation days and sick days and stuff like that. What reason do they have to seek out resources of something positive for positive people? That's the most common person, really. So if they don't need help disclosing because they're in their relationship, if they don't need help processing the diagnosis because there's no need to deal with it. Like if they have an outbreak, they take the medication on with their business. So while like my personal experience and, you know, where I'm going here with the boundaries and values and everything, um, it may not be to a T, but just given the collective perspectives that I have, I think that I'm able to really like piece this all together. And fortunately, I'm so happy I have notes. (laughs) Um, it's important for us to make sure that we can just simply empathize if we do give a partner herpes and be that support that we didn't have when we needed it. Because shit, honestly, this could be a more healing and supportive role for us being on the outside looking in and kind of seeing ourselves there. And it can also be triggering. It can be healing or it can be activating. 
And so it's important for us to like have that plan in place of what can we do in the event that a partner does in fact test positive. This is a long-term partner, right? So <clears throat> that really, that, that those expectations, that outline or whatever, the structure there, or even the boundaries, I feel like, I think boundaries is a better word. It's going to come from your identification with yourself. So now you've developed into who you are, um, perhaps, you know, in support of your loved ones through your diagnosis, right? You didn't have a partner that was there for you to guide you through this or hold your hand or support you. So you got to figure it out on your own and you've gotten the support that you needed from the people around you. Now you got to do that for somebody else. Of course, you're not obligated to do it, but it's just kind of like, having this in place ahead of time it's super supportive and it just looks like taking care of you first so like having your boundaries think about it as having an anchor for those values values that anchor your boundaries in relationships or connections for me the thing that i value most in life if I were to say I had a life goal, it would be connection. Connection would be it. My goal in life is to experience connection. I want to connect. I want to be connected to. That's how I feel about that. My three values in terms of <clears throat> making me feel connected are consistency, transparency, and maturity. Those are my three values. I can have two of those three with someone in order to pursue them, to have interactions with them, to work with them, to be around them, to share space. You give me two of those, we we cool. You give me all three, I'm going to give you the world. <laughs> That's the sweet spot right there. If you show me consistency, maturity, and transparency, we, we, we go together. <laughs> or, you know, it's a platonic relationship that has more of like a long-term effect, right? But I, I'm sharing this because these tie in heavily with, I believe it was episode 154, where I was talking about like your relationship, your relational values. Like, are you offering to whoever it is that you're pursuing what your three values are? Like, how do you communicate? I believe these three values, consistency, transparency, and maturity are all aspects of communication because are you transparently communicating are you consistently communicating do you communicate with maturity and they all really anchor in my three uh oh those are values like my three life values liberation peace and evolution and what these all tie into again communication and then trust and then intimacy so I got like a little chart right here and it's really cool to see. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll see what I can do in Canva to make it the episode title. But as I was writing it, I really it really stuck with me here because to me, transparency is not honesty. Everyone says they want honesty in the relationship. No, I think we all want transparency in the relationship. We want that in our communication and how we relate to others, how others relate to us. That's what we really want. We really want transparent communication because you can ask me, hey, did you hook up with that girl? 
And in my mind, I can hear, did you hook up with that girl? No, I didn't hook, like throw a left hook or right hook or fish, like put a fish hook in her and pull her up. No, I didn't hook up with that girl. Oh, okay. That's me being honest. But in the back of my mind, I know, oh, I had sex with her, but you didn't ask me if I had sex with her, right? So am I really being honest? Yeah. But am I being transparent? No. <laughs> so I value honesty. And that's that's a really extreme example. But I do value that transparency because what it is that I give to other people is what my standard is of receiving. And again, you know, if you can give me two of those three, we, we can, we're good. But not giving me two of those three, I think that we, you know, I got to keep you at arm's length because you you you're constantly emitting and absorbing the energy that you surround yourself with and these things being my relational values or boundaries it's really important for me to share space with people who honor these boundaries because i'm showing them how i'd like to be loved and i'm showing them how i can love them in the same breath and then we have consistency inconsistency is a trigger for me when people are inconsistent in their thoughts, in their, I'm sorry, in their behaviors, in what their words are, in their actions, in how they show up, I can't trust that. I can't trust you if I can't rely on you to be where you say you're going to be when you're going to be there. Do the thing that I ask you to do. Support, you know, like that, that consistency and just communication, like. Can I count on you is what that says to me. And this is a need of mine. Like the other two are, you know, tangible or I'm sorry, um, they're they're You can adapt them a little bit, fold them or whatever. They're malleable, flexible. Flexible is the word I was looking for. But consistency, that's the one for me. And then maturity. Do you do you maturely communicate? You know, like, like I mentioned that mixed signals to me are that, that's a red flag that's a sign of uninterest of not being interested so when you see that lack of consistency when you see immature behavior and communication these are also like relationship values that if, if they're not going along with these things you got to be willing to walk away this may not be a person that you want to potentially put at risk for contracting HSV. This may not be a person that is in line for what my long-term goals are to have in a relationship. Because again, you know, this is how we're talking about how we're relating to people, not just intimately, um, you know, in a herpes context, yes. And, and it's about sex, but outside of that, like, do you need these things? Do you need your own three values, your anchors that hold your boundaries in place? Yes or no? The answer better be yes. <laughs> because we need those. That how else are people going to know how we want to be treated and how we're capable of treating them? Remember, the gray rule. It's not the golden rule, the platinum rule, the silver rule, the bronze rule. It's the gray rule. I made this shit up myself. I probably need to get the statement patented. But others can only treat you at best the way that they treat themselves. So that's at best. So if you see someone that treats themselves poorly, that doesn't exercise boundaries, that doesn't have values, what makes you think they're going to honor and respect yours? What are yours? Do you know what they are? Do others recognize them? 
how can we set a foundation for communication here, right? Let me, I'm going to close this up because uh, we are getting to the end point of where I'm going to just begin rambling at some point. So I don't want to, I don't want to take it there, but I share this, I share all of this, like trying to bring it full circle, which I feel like I did just to say that we have to be able to let go of the expectation that we can just, we can not pass HSV on to someone. That's one piece of it. <laughs> if we're going to do like takeaways or something like, it's possible. There's always a risk. Not everyone's aware of that. It's unfortunate for us that we carry the burden of being responsible and having to inform people about this, about that they may get it. We got to take the medication. We got to wear the condoms. We got to have the condoms. We got to initiate the sexual health conversation. So, <laughs> it should happen anyway. So, what's wrong with being the confident one? What's wrong with being the leader? What's wrong with being the pioneer in setting the expectation and expanding that out into initiating sexual health conversations. And these are real conversations. Like, everybody wants to have sex, but nobody wants to talk about sex. This is an aspect of sex. If I'm positive, my partner's negative, and they test positive, what are the action steps? I know what I went through when I got my diagnosis. Perhaps this would have been helpful for me. So here's how I can show up for you. Here are some resources for you. And allow, you know, before it even gets to that, the relationship. What about those values and boundaries that are in place? That should be in place. Do you have those? What do you value in relationships? Who's, you know, back to the COVID conversation. Who's, quote, worth the risk? Like right now in 2020, we are really having to be cautious with who we share space with. We have to ask questions about where they've been. Have they been wearing a mask? Have they been social distancing? Have they been tested before? Have they had any symptoms? Have they been around someone who's tested positive for COVID or been in any of the hot spots? Have they been quarantining? Have they traveled lately? That has become normalized in just 2020 alone. Herpes been here since before humans have been here. And more accurately, the statement should be that herpes have humans, to be honest. And we still can't have a real conversation nearly as fast with this virus as we have with the other one. When we talk about barrier use, we talk about disclosure, we talk about um, wearing um, or talk about practicing good hygiene, we talk about, you know, the process of disclosing to people that you have COVID. How do I disclose that? It's the same thing with HSV. It's a virus, two viruses. One is possibly, one's more contagious than the other. You know, one is fatal, can be. The other one can be as well, arguably, considering the mental health impacts of an HSV diagnosis and the link to uh, suicide ideation and depression, other mental health issues. It starts with us. 
All of this shit, it starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with you recognizing what your anchor is to your core values, what your boundaries are, exercising those boundaries. And like this just, and I want to close this out with the intention of having people who listen to this understand it is okay if you give your partner herpes consensually. When you give them that option up front and you let them know, hey, here's what the situation is. But you got to be willing to deal with whatever the consequences are, whatever the challenges that you're going to face after the fact. Not in a way that you feel out of obligation or guilt, but just simply out of love and out of like self-respect for who you are. Going back to the gray rule, you yourself at Best treat your treat others the way that you treat yourself. And when people use phrases like partner and significant other, we treat them as equal. So if we treat them shitty, how do we treat ourselves? If we're unwilling to take the time to, you know, just just be there for them. If we're unwilling to just kind of empathize or share resources or do what we needed for ourselves to for them. That's a direct reflection of how we treat ourselves and how I hope that people go into whatever their relationships are, even if it's not in a conscious level. Let's say you have three um, relationship core values or green flags and you move forward with them and they only have one. You know, you've already proven how you really treat yourself based on your lowering of expectations of that other person. You know, you're like, oh, well, I'll take what I can get. That's not fair to them. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to us. We fucking deserve bomb-ass sex. We deserve commitment. We deserve to have safer interactions with our partners. We also deserve to respect ourselves enough to have the, the, the anchors of our values for our boundaries. Like, I feel like that might have been a lot. Um, I want to add that I'm not a mental health professional, nor am I a doctor. I am exclusively speaking from my individual experience and my experiences in just several, at this point, probably thousands of conversations with people who are living with STIs, who are affected by STIs by healthcare providers and sexual wellness related organizations. Um, But like that, that work, that inner work, the recognition of these values and boundaries, we gotta, we, we can't avoid that. We can't avoid doing this work and bring people in because all we're gonna do is hurt people. We're gonna hurt ourselves in the process. So like, you know, I, and I came to this epiphany, and that's why I wanted to title this podcast episode. You know, avoidance is not letting go. You know, we we can say that. Well, I can say that I've let go of the idea that I need to be so protective of my partners. But in fact, I've just avoided it by dismissing it with, "All right, I told you. All right, I'm 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 doing my precautions." And that's not fair to anybody. So it's important to really lay it out there. Just really lay it out there for people. And um, yeah, that's 
I think that's really all I got. Otherwise, I'm going to start to ramble again. But yeah, y'all, avoidance isn't letting go. And this can be applied to all areas of life. The thing that I've been running from for myself has been something that I really thought that I let go of. And shit, perhaps I need a part two to talk about all of that. But just squeezing it in here. Tonight is the night of the election. uh, Or I'm sorry, the last night of voting. It's November 3rd. My birthday is on November 10th. I'm about to be 32, and I have avoided for the longest letting go of my feelings around my birthday. And perhaps, you know, if it's a good time, maybe I'll talk about it next week. But I've discussed it before that around my birthday, I get really fucking weird. I get emotional. And um, the reason is because on my 13th birthday, I believe, um, my grandmother's, it was my grandmother's funeral. And the significance of that is that uh, when my mom was pregnant with me, she was 17, and she told me the story about how her parents were embarrassed that their 17-year-old unmarried daughter was pregnant, and they wanted her to get an abortion. And so my mom ran away and lived with my father's mother, who had such an impact on my life even before I was fucking born. You know, this woman was a business owner, she was smart, she was also, she had mental health stuff <laughs> that was going on, I would never forget those episodes, but she she loved me, like that was the embodiment of selflessness and love, you know, even to the point where my, my grandmother told my mom, she was like, hey, I know my son, here's how you're going to need to handle him, right, and I've avoided this this anger that I have, not towards my grandmother, but like towards, I don't know where to really direct it, but around this time of year, like this is actually where I break up with people. I quit jobs. I run away. I shut off. Like I do all of that shit in the fourth quarter of the year. <laughs> and last year I said that I let this go. Like if you listen to the episode that I published around November 10th, I said that I realized that I realized something, that this is the year that my grandma died and I get emotional about it. But now I've gone a lot deeper because 2020, this whole entire year has been, I feel a little bit guilty for saying, but it's been a good year for me. I went to California for the first time. I, you know, work-wise, like, yeah, we're in the pandemic and my income has been significantly impacted Um, but fortunately I was able to receive unemployment for a while and that helped me with coming into the space of becoming the executive director of something positive for positive people and allowing myself to let go of this idea of, um, because I'm not taking money for my services, for talking to people, for doing this podcast, um, it made me better than everybody else who was in the space of doing this work, who does take money, um, I I had to let that go. Because for me, what was happening was I was just avoiding it and even, you know, tightening my fists, hurting myself in the process. So releasing the belief about myself that I'm so much better than other people because I do what I do and I don't charge anyone. I don't ask for, you know, money exclusively from my pocket. I had to let that go because how how many people am I not helping by not being able to 
take care of myself for the time and energy that I put in here. Yeah, I'm a personal trainer who's been significantly impacted by the pandemic. Yes, I'll be finished with yoga teacher training in the fall or uh, in the end of November. So like, yeah, these are ways that I can make a living and I'm going to continue to do so while giving what I have to give to something positive for positive people. But letting go of not wanting to be seen a certain way as a means of like overcompensating for this inner anger and rage. Like I want to be seen as a good person. And like, this was another thing that I wanted to touch on. Um, I have like upper back tightness. It's not sore. It's not necessarily stiff. My mobility isn't super hindered, but there's a, I Googled, you know, the spiritual significance of uh, emotions stored in the upper back and the feeling of not belonging, the feeling of inadequacy came up and shit. Like I'm getting emotional saying this shit out loud, but like, um, as I move through my yoga practice through the back motions, like those feelings often do come up and I look at my life now and parallel to, you know, the, the, what I do, how amazing this work is that I do for people, uh, through something positive for positive people, how, amazing I am like this is complete overcompensation for the fact that I am angry as fuck and this is perhaps like some transgenerational anger that isn't necessarily mine but like I am so perhaps I am so anti-shame and embarrassment because I almost wasn't here as a result of embarrassment and shame that was experienced by the parents of my mother, you know? So this is something that I'm going to talk to him about. I haven't even talked about this shit in therapy. Like <laughs> I called my mom and I told her, I was like, Hey, so I'm angry and I think this is why. And that was the first time that I had said it out loud and it felt right. So, you know, I, my grandparents are here so I can talk to them and you know, I'm grown. And I can just like get their feedback on that. But I think that that's something that I have to do in order to really let go of the anger that I experience and perhaps like balance out this overcompensation of kindness and niceness and everything that people see on the surface. Because eh, at the core of it, like, you know, the avoidance, avoiding like talking to my grandparents, like I know that I do that. <laughs> I know I do avoiding conflict, avoiding feeling angry. All it's doing is building this shit up and making me even more angry. So it's it's very healthy to find outlets to let go rather than run from and avoid. And I, I hope that those two topics really tied in with one another as I just spoke through it with just my notes here <laughs> of what I wanted to make sure to say, oh my God, my to-do list is on the other side. And Luckily, I did all of those things. Otherwise, I have anxiety about it. But I hate that I just dropped that huge ball on y'all and I got to go. Um, yoga teacher training is about to start for me. I hope that people were able to take care of themselves on election night. Um, the next weeks are probably going to be difficult for people. Um, I feel a huge sense of relief after having voted because just leading up to voting, there was a lot of anxiety like, is my vote going to count? Where do I vote? Are things changing? But no, I went in to my place of voting, walked in. Um, well, I went there early, uh, like 20 minutes before they opened. And I got in and out within an hour. 
So hopefully we begin to see changes that benefit the collective, that benefit humanity. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful, but it is what it is. Like this is this, this, the way of life is just something else. Like I'm used to disappointment. I'm used to, uh, failed expectations and, as unhealthy as that is, like I'm really allowing myself to feel hopeful and inspired for <clears throat> things to begin to change. So I thank y'all for listening to me ramble. This podcast should have been over 16 minutes ago, but if you're still here, I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me through listening to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you again to Let's Get Checked, www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP. Pick your STI test kit. Um, there are ones that even include HSV. So if you want to know what type you have, just make sure that you're feeling an outbreak coming on or you have an outbreak because it's a P test to test for uh, whether or not you're reactive at that point. So you can potentially figure out what type you have based on uh, whether or not you're showing any symptoms. Um, don't hesitate to check out something positive for positive people at www.spfpp.org. And you can leave us a donation if you've benefited from any other resource. Again, if you're a counselor, if you want to get involved with us, please reach out. If you're in media, if you have access to donors or people with a fuck ton of money who just want to give to a good cause, we are raising money to continue to provide mental health resources for people who have experienced a positive STI diagnosis, which we are, which is a sexual trauma. Till next time. Stay sex positive.